Good morning, uh, once again. Uh, good to see you all this morning. Um, and uh, our passage of scripture for today comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 21, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 14. Um, and before we um, go to our passage this morning, just one quick note about the congregational meeting next week. I think I have this correct. If you plan to vote yes, you stay here. And if you plan to vote no, I think you're meeting under the tail. Is that, is that elders can correct me on that uh, if I'm wrong, but uh, that's what I understand. So that's a joke. Uh, I make a lot of jokes that are not always funny, so I apologize for that. Um, it's been a great week uh, here in Prague, and uh, thank you all once again for the warm welcome that you have uh, given to me and to my family. Uh, my family went home on Thursday. They did, after a, a quick sprint through the Frankfurt airport uh, where they held the plane for them, uh, they did arrive home safely on Thursday evening, so thank you for your prayers for safe travel for them. Um, and uh, you might continue to pray for them, and especially my wife, Vail, home with three kids uh, without me. So, um, And I go home tomorrow. I would appreciate your prayers for safe travel, but uh, it has been a, a great week, um, and so thank you all um, for your warm welcome, and have really enjoyed getting to know you all better as a congregation and seeing the different ministries um, that, that ICP is involved with, so um, just has been really a gift and encouragement uh, to me to be here the last week. So uh, with that being said, let's go to our passage today, um, Breakfast with Jesus, and um, we're looking at John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14, and we're going to read the whole passage uh, before um, we get uh, into our reflections on it. Um, last week, we looked at Philippians chapter 2 and sort of uh, this big picture um, theological passage of what God is up to in history with Jesus Christ uh, and all that was going on there. And one of the things that we talked about was how if you want to know God, if you want to come to know the God who created us as he truly is, uh, then we should look at Jesus, look at his life, the way that he lived, the things that he did and said and taught. Uh, and so today it felt like uh, a good thing to do to look at a passage where we look at Jesus. We look at his life, uh, we look at the way that he interacted with people, his disciples specifically in this passage, um, and to see how we might come to know God better in looking at Jesus in this way. Um, so uh, starting at uh, chapter 21 of the Gospel of John, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as Simon Peter, as soon as Simon and Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. 
And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and he dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, This is such a great little passage. I, I really, I love everything about this passage. And I think the reason that I love everything about this passage um, is because I wish I had been there. Uh, I, I think about this passage, and it's one of those passages you can really place yourself in. I would invite you all to do that this morning, to imagine yourself having been in this scene, at this place, at this time. Uh, early in the morning, you've just been fishing uh, at the Sea of Galilee. You can maybe imagine the smells and the sights and the feels. Um, Jesus is cooking fish on some hot coals, right? You can, you can sense that. You can smell that. Uh, you can imagine what it was like to be there. I really love everything about this passage. Uh, it may be a passage that's not uh, completely unfamiliar to you. You may know this passage, especially if you've grown up going to church. Uh, but I think it's, it's often known mostly for what comes just after it. There's a more famous story, a more well-known story that comes right afterwards, attached to it, where Jesus restores Peter. Uh, Jesus comes to Peter and he asks him three times, do you love me? And says, feed my sheep. And so oftentimes we, we look at this passage of, of Jesus having breakfast with his disciples as a miraculous story. Story, but sort of the, uh, the introduction to Jesus um, restoring Peter and restoring that relationship with him. Uh, but I want us this morning to look at this passage in its own right. What I think is really a significant passage, an interesting passage, something uh, in it for us just by itself. It's one of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, meaning that this is Jesus after he's died. And he's come back to life. And he's in this new and different sort of body now. And here we are, two weeks after Easter. Uh, It feels like a good time to consider one of these passages. I think oftentimes as Christians, we sort of imagine that Jesus uh, died on the cross. He rose again. You have Easter Sunday. And he appears to a lot of disciples. And then we jump to the ascension. Uh, But there are these passages in there where we see that Jesus stayed on earth for a while and was interacting with people and the disciples, uh, teaching them, continuing to talk with them and minister to them. And what we have in this passage today, we see the risen Jesus performs a miracle. After a fruitless night of fishing, at Jesus' instructions, these men end up hauling in more fish than their net can handle, almost more fish than their net can handle, 153 large fish to be precise. This passage is very specific here. And then you have Peter's response to all of this. And, and, and I love Peter. I am not at all like Peter, uh, but Peter can always be counted on for this kind of a response, uh, this, this sort of all in, he's all heart. Um, and so Peter recognizes that it's the Lord. And, and what I love is that he puts his coat back on. I think that's the opposite of what most of us would think to do. He's in the boat, he took his coat off, but he puts it back on and then he jumps in the water and he starts swimming to shore as fast as he can, presumably to get to Jesus faster than anybody else. And I have to say, I've often wondered if 
Peter actually beats the boat back to shore uh, or not. Um, but he, he just jumps in and he starts swimming because this is Peter. And Peter loves Jesus and he has this strong response to him. And even with these sort of uh, exciting and extraordinary pieces to it, the miraculous catch of fish, Peter jumping in the water, hauling the net in all by himself. What really stands out to me in this story is how ordinary it is in a way and how intimate it is and how uh, uh, we see this relationship that Jesus has with his disciples. There are only eight people in the whole story including Jesus. There aren't uh, great crowds of people around as we often see in Jesus' uh, earthly ministry that people kept coming to him, uh, wanting healings, wanting teachings, wanting to ask him questions. There aren't all of these people around. No one there is there following Jesus. No one is there challenging him or questioning him. If we think about it, we remember what was happening before uh, this, this, um, uh, this passage occurs. Uh, the disciples are coming off of Holy Week, right? What we call Holy Week. But it was the week that Jesus entered into Jerusalem, uh, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. Uh, Jesus goes into the temple. He turns over the tables. We see the Pharisees and the religious leaders that are, keep coming to him and challenging his authority, asking him why he's doing these things, questioning him, eventually arresting him and crucifying him. So the disciples have been through a lot at this point. And now they get this sort of quiet moment with Jesus. No one is there looking for anything from him. It's just Jesus and this small group of the disciples. Not even all of them get to be there, just seven. And the story starts with these seven men, and they're just hanging out together, these, these seven close friends who have been through so much together. These are men who know Jesus better than anyone else. They watched him die on a cross, but now just recently, they've seen uh, or they've had two encounters with him alive again. And so here they are together. And I wonder how their lives have been changed now that they've seen the risen Jesus. How have their lives been changed now that they've seen the risen Jesus? I wonder how their relationships with each other have changed, how their conversations have changed. This is all still really new to them. And so there's no way that they have figured out all of the implications that this will have for their lives. And how could they? How could they at this point? And yet at the same time, there is no way that things can be the same for them either. Because meeting the risen Lord changes people. Meeting the risen Lord changes people. Their lives have been forever changed. And this is true for any of us when we first experience Jesus, the risen Christ. The Jesus that any of us knows and, and says that we believe in, puts our faith in, is the same Jesus that these disciples are dealing with here. I'd invite you to think back to the first time uh, that you maybe heard the gospel that you can remember, or the first time that it really stood out to you. The first time that you started to wonder what the implications of Jesus being risen from the dead meant for you. There's no way uh, for us to know at that point in time what the implications will be for our lives going forward. And yet there's no way for our lives to be the same after that either. Meaning once Jesus has a hold on us, once he is our Lord, once we are his disciples or his followers, our lives will change. And they will change in ways that we'd never be able to predict or anticipate when we first meet him. 
Our priorities are different. Our goals are different. The very direction of our lives takes on a different uh, course. And what we are living for, what we think life is about, changes once we have come to have an experience with the risen Jesus life, uh, risen Jesus. Even the, the, the way that we interact with other people, our relationships change once Jesus becomes our Lord. And I would even say that if you have an experience with the risen Christ, if you're introduced to him in some way and choose not to follow him, choose not to make him your Lord, that that will have implications for your life as well and will change your life in many ways as well. So that's what the disciples are wrestling with here. And, and Peter, in the midst of that, says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. I don't know what it's like in other cultures. In America, that seems to be a very uh, normal response, right? I've got a lot going on. I'm going to go fishing. And so all the other men say, we're going with you. And so they go and they get in a boat together and they go night fishing. They go night fishing. They spend all evening out there and they don't catch anything. Which again, if you've ever been on a fishing trip with your friends where you didn't catch anything, then you know that that's a bonding experience as well. Uh, That this is something that brings people closer together uh, to have that kind of an experience. And then Jesus appears on the shore and it feels like once they've realized that it's him, they're just excited to see their friend. And when they get to shore, Jesus has some food cooking and everyone, uh, for everyone, and he invites them to breakfast. He says, come and have breakfast. It's such a great image, these eight close friends just sitting on the beach, eating breakfast together. Uh, this is a, a trip that I would have loved to have been on, a fishing trip I would have loved to have been on. Of course, like any passage of of scripture, this one can speak to us on many levels, and there are places to dig deeper. Uh, There's life application to be found in this passage, and we're going to get to all of that in just a minute. But I would say, let's not skip too quickly over what's happening here. Uh, To move past the story itself, to get to its deeper meaning, I think it's worth considering and reflecting on the plain meaning of this passage, what's happening just on the surface of it and all of its simplicity and intimacy and warmth. Because it points us to the kind of friendship and fellowship that is here for us in the body of Christ. These kinds of relationships that that are good for us to have with each other, relationships that build us up in our faith. Friends who can lean over and tell us when it is the Lord. I love that, I love that image that we have of John sort of elbowing Peter and saying, it is the Lord, it is the Lord. We need people in our lives to say that to us, who can speak into our lives in ways and tell us when they see Jesus at work in our lives, who can tell us when they see something going on around us and say, that is Christ at work in you, or that is Christ at work around you or through you. And we should be able to say that to one another as well to be at, uh, looking out for how Jesus is at work in each other's lives and to be able to say to each other, it is the Lord, it is the Lord. So this, this passage gives us a picture of the fellowship that we have with one another. But this passage also points to the kind of fellowship that is available to us with Jesus himself. Because Jesus making breakfast for his disciples shows us the kind of relationship that he wants to have with his people. 
I think for many people, even faithful Christians, it's hard not to feel like God is distant sometimes, that God is is far away, that God is detached from us, that God is even aloof, that he doesn't really care about our day-to-day lives and what's going on in them. If he did, then why would I be going through these struggles or these complications right now if God was really close and cared? It's easy to believe that God exists sometimes, But what God cares mostly about in terms of our lives is that we're behaving ourselves. I think that's often how we feel about it. If we're following the rules well enough, then God is pleased with us. If we're not following the rules well enough, well, then God is disappointed in us. And that's often the the view of the relationship with God that many of us have. And and it, it seems to make sense on some level. But the problem with this view of things is that there's no sense of any real relationship in it. God is not interested in knowing us in this model, and we're not interested in knowing God. It's all very transactional. I do good things, God will give me good things. I do bad things, and bad things will come my way. It's very rule-based. It's very law-based, which is the real problem in that view, that there's no grace in it. And the story of Jesus making breakfast with his disciples is all about grace, It's all about warmth and friendship and love. This this picture that we see here is what Jesus went to the cross for so that this kind of relationship with God could be restored. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, to restore the relationship that God created us for. It reminds me of a few other passages uh, that we see in Scripture, one from earlier in the Gospel of John where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus calls his disciples friends. And that's the kind of relationship that he's looking for with them. In Genesis, uh, the beginning of Genesis, before sin came into the world, we see that God created Adam and Eve and he placed them in the Garden of Eden together. But God was also in the garden and walked and talked with them, which tells us again that this is the kind of relationship with God that we are meant to have, that we were created for. And the last verse that this passage reminds me of uh, comes from the end of the Bible, from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Each of these passages gives us a picture of the kind of relationship that God wants with us. Not cold, not distant, not transactional, but warm and intimate and personal. This is what we were created for. And this is the kind of relationship that God desires with each one of us. This is the kind of relationship that God wants with each one of you. Each one of you. I pray that you would hear that today, whether you are in church for the first time or for the millionth time, that you would hear that word this morning. This is what God desires to have with us and is made available to us through Jesus Christ. I think the question that often we have to wrestle with is, is this the kind of relationship that we want with God? Is this the kind of relationship that we want with God? It's a good question for all of us to wrestle with. I think oftentimes uh, the idea of being that close to God is a little bit intimidating. It's a little scary. The holy God who created the heavens and the earth, to be that close to that God uh, means that nothing is hidden anymore. (laughs) 
means we really have to do business with the God who created us. And I think often we prefer God to be a little bit distant, a little bit far off. It feels safer that way. But the reality is that the true freedom we have in Christ comes with that close relationship. And maybe as you ask yourself that question, for some of you, you say, yes, yes, that's exactly what I want. In fact, that's exactly the kind of relationship that I have with God right now. But for some of you, the honest answer may be yes and no. (laughs) Or maybe I want that kind of relationship with God. Sometimes I want that kind of relationship with God. I would pray, my prayer for us uh, as the people of God, the body of Christ, is that we would pray as a church, that we would be moving more and more in the yes direction, knowing that God promises to meet us there. Yes, Lord, this is the kind of relationship that I want with you. And so with that in mind, um, here are four pieces of sort of practical application from today's passage uh, to help move us more in that yes direction. I'm not always a three-point or four-point sermon person. I just want to put that out there. But sometimes it comes up in the passage, and, it, and it's just sort of there. Uh, and so this morning, it felt like there were four points from this passage that I thought were worth considering. Uh, and here they are to move us in that yes direction towards that intimate relationship with God. The first point is this. Look for Jesus to show up in your daily life. Look for Jesus to show up in your daily life. So this is really important. I think often we expect to meet God here, right? We expect to meet God at church, Sunday mornings, in worship. We might also add our small group times, our Bible study times, prayer meetings, youth praha, whatever it might be. We know that those are places where we think God is going to show up. And we should, and that's a good thing. We want God to show up in those places. Uh, Jesus tells us where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them, right? We trust that that is true. But that being said, we don't want to confine God just to our times of corporate worship to Sunday mornings, to Bible study, to small groups, because we're not always there. In fact, we probably spend most of our time outside of those places, and Jesus doesn't only show up in those places. The Spirit blows where it wills. This is uh, not to say that we should neglect those things. Of course, we should do that, but we want to keep our eyes open for how God is at work at other times in our lives as well. We go back to the ordinariness of this passage, uh, and and I talked about this sort of like it's a fishing trip. That's sort of how I read it. But what we really see is that these are fishermen who are going fishing. These men are doing their jobs. This is their vocation. This is what they were called to do. For them not to catch fish is actually really frustrating because this is their livelihood. They are at work, and they are having a hard day at work. Jesus has met them. They've seen the risen Jesus a couple times already. If you read the Gospel of John, you'll see that the Holy Spirit has already been given to the disciples. Uh, This happened just a little bit earlier. And he's commissioned them to take his message of forgiveness into the world. And yet here they are back at their daily jobs. And there's not anything wrong with that. Because our jobs and our occupations, our vocations, are exactly how we are called to live out this commission that Jesus gives us. Jesus shows up and performs a miracle with these men while they are at work. So keep your eyes open for Jesus to show up in your ordinary day-to-day work and family life. Whatever it is that God has called you to do in your vocation, whether it's as a student, whether it's as a parent, whether it's as a teacher or a business person, whatever it may be, look for God to show up there as you are living out your vocation. 
So that's point number one. Keep an eye open for God to show up in your daily life. Point number two is this, be obedient. Be obedient. Now, I know I just said a couple minutes ago that it's not about the rules, and it's really not. It's really not. Not in the sense that that defines our relationship with God, but obedience does still matter. It still has a place in our relationship with God. God has given us the rules, the law, because they are good for us. They are a gift. God is our loving heavenly father. And just like any loving parent, God has given us boundaries and guidelines because he wants what is best for us. And so we follow the rules. We follow the 10 commandments and all of the other commandments that are in the scriptures to our own benefit. We should think of them less as a system for rewards and punishment or of earning and losing points with God, but more as an avenue for intimacy with God. In my tradition, the, the Reformed tradition, uh, oftentimes the way we talk about the commandments is as a form of grateful living. It's a way of showing our thanks to God for all that he has done for us. And that's why we live this way. Jesus himself says, if you love me, you will do what I command. And one of the best quotes uh, about obedience that I've ever heard comes from uh, the Swiss reformer, John Calvin, who says, all right knowledge of God is born from obedience. All right knowledge of God is born from obedience. So we come to know God better as we obey him. In our passage today, it says three times that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. And it also says three times that they knew it was the Lord. Jesus revealed himself to the disciples and they knew it was the Lord. And anytime you see words and phrases and ideas repeated in scripture, then you're supposed to pay extra attention. It's a way of putting an exclamation point there, of emphasizing what's going on. This is the main point. So we see that in our passage today. Jesus revealed himself and the disciples recognized that it was the Lord. And it's in the disciples' obedience that they recognize him. I don't know if you noticed that in the passage or not, but they don't realize it's Jesus when he's first calling out to them from the shore. When he says, cast your nets, it says they did not know it was the Lord. And then after they obey, after they throw their nets over again and they catch the fish, that's when they recognize that it is Jesus, that it is the Lord that they're dealing with here. If they hadn't obeyed, they might have missed it. If they hadn't obeyed, they might have missed it. So if you want to see Jesus at work in your daily life, if you want to foster a closer relationship with him, try obedience. Try obedience and see what happens. There are countless ways for all of us to practice obedience to practice the obedience that God has laid before us to live into, saying, here is the way, walk in it. And it's a call for us to examine our lives and to say, is there any place that I have not submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life? And if there is uh, uh, somewhere that you have not done that yet, uh, then to say, okay, Lord, how do I submit this to your lordship? How do I hold this before you and become more obedient? And trusting that God will meet you there. So point number two, be obedient. Point number three, offer what you have. Offer what you have. Now, this could be point two and a half or point 2.5. It's certainly uh, tied to the one before it. Uh, It's a way of being obedient. Uh, But Jesus tells the disciples to give him some of their fish, and they do. When they get to the shore, he says, give me some of your fish. And if this uh, image, this passage reminds you of the boy who offered his bread and his fish to feed the 5,000, it should because there's a similar thing happening here. Jesus says, give me what you have, 
and I'll use it. Give me what you have and I'll use it. We've all been given gifts, friends. We've all been given gifts. We've all been given passions. We've all been given desires, things that the Lord has given us. If you read the New Testament, you, you read about the gifts of the Spirit. And, and when we become Christians, we, we all are given gifts of the Holy Spirit. So how do we offer them to Jesus to use for his kingdom? So whether you're good at teaching or hospitality or administration or preaching and teaching or, or, or making money, Jesus says, give me what you have and I will use it for my purposes to build my kingdom. Uh, while I've been here this week, one of, uh, I think I said this a little bit earlier, but one of the things that I've really enjoyed is seeing how you as a church, how ICP uh, are, is offering your gifts uh, for God's kingdom. I got to go uh, visit at Dignity this week uh, and the Ukrainian Kids Club and Youth Praha uh, and even seeing all that goes into Sunday mornings uh, to make this, this uh, worship service happen. Uh, people teaching Sunday school, uh, talking with you about um, your vocations and what you do in life. And I've gotten a chance to see how people are offering their gifts in service to God's kingdom here through this church. And it's been a really beautiful thing to witness. Uh, it's been really encouraging to me. And so God says, give me what you have and I'll use it to build my kingdom. Now one uh, side point with that that I think is really good, and it's one of the details that I love here in this passage, is that we see that Jesus says, give me your fish, but if you notice, he's actually already cooking fish <laughs> before, uh, before he asks for the disciples' fish. Uh, and what we see in that is that Jesus asks for their fish and he uses it, but he doesn't need it. Right? He asks for their fish and he uses it, but he doesn't need it. It's a humbling reminder for us that Jesus calls us to offer our gifts to build up his kingdom and he does use them, but he doesn't need them. We do well to remember that we are dealing with the God who created the universe out of nothing, the heavens and the earth, by whom and for whom all things are made, uh, who rose Jesus from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are invited to participate in God's work here on earth, but it is not up to us to save the world. It's not up to us to save the world because Jesus did that on the cross. And there's real freedom for us as Christians in remembering that. We are invited to participate in the work that God is doing here. Uh, and so we should accept that invitation, but it is God's work to do. So we offer what we have to God, our gifts and our passions for him to use as he sees fit. And in this too, Jesus reveals himself to us. So offer what you have, even what seems ordinary, like some fish, and see how God uses it. So that's point number three. And then point number four is keep the end in mind. Keep the end in mind. Like I said, I love this passage because I wish I had been there. Uh, I, I wish I could have been part of this, this sort of uh, small group experience with Jesus. Um, and, and I think sometimes in our lives we have experiences like this. You might think of retreats that you've been on uh, with small groups of people or with your church. Uh, you might think of youth retreats that you went on at some point in your life. Or maybe just your daily quiet time, your small group times. Those times when you think uh, you really experience the Lord and you just don't want them to end. You just don't want them to end. You don't want to go home at the end of that experience because of what God is doing there, the feelings that you have. And I think this passage is one of those kinds of moments. But even as much as we might wish we had been there and, and wish that we could stay in that moment forever, and I think the disciples maybe felt that way too, we can't. We can't. 
It can't last forever. We have to go back out into the world uh, to serve the Lord. Jesus has commissioned these disciples to go out into the world. And ever since Abraham and God establishing his covenant with Abraham, God has been calling people into personal relationship with himself for the sake of others so that the world might know him and be drawn into this same kind of relationship with him. There are a lot of parallels between our story today in Luke chapter five when Jesus first calls Peter to come and follow him. And that story ends with Jesus saying to him, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. We look back into the Old Testament in Ezekiel, the book of the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 47. The prophet is given a vision of water that is flowing out of the temple and headed east. And God says to Ezekiel there, wherever this river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be many fish, very many fish. For this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. And fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Eneglahim. It will be a place for the spreading of nets and its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. And what we see in this vision that God is giving to this prophet, Ezekiel, in the Old Testament uh, is, is this vision of the living water that Jesus talks about in the Gospel of John that brings life everywhere it goes. And we see that, that there are very many fish of all different kinds that need to be caught. This is the pattern we see throughout Scripture, that those called into a close relationship with God, those to whom Jesus has revealed himself, are then sent out to bring others into this same kind of relationship. There's a world full of people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that we have through him. And Jesus' followers are sent out to catch them too knowing that one day people from every tongue and tribe and nation will bow down to worship him. So these are the four things uh, from this passage. There's so much more you could get out of this passage too. Go back and read it yourself. But these are the four things for this morning. Look for Jesus to show up in your ordinary daily life. Be obedient, offer what you have, and keep the end in mind. And in all of this, I hope we remember the invitation of Jesus to come and have breakfast because this is the kind of relationship that God desires with us and offers to us in Jesus Christ. It's a preview of the heavenly feast that we will get to all be part of one day where Jesus invites us to join him at his table where he has prepared a meal for us to nourish us and to sustain us and where we are free to invite others to come and be a part of this same fellowship with him and with ourselves. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of passages like these that, that uh, show us um, Jesus and all of his humanity and his divinity. Lord, the risen Christ, the one whom we proclaim as Lord, and we pray that for each one of us that you would be moving us more and more into this kind of relationship with our Lord through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us a vision uh, for your work in our daily lives, that you would help us to be obedient and offer what we have in service to your kingdom. 
And we pray, Lord, also that you would give us a vision for this world and for the people around us so that others might come to know you and the joy of sins forgiven. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.